Welcome to the God, Money, and Marriage Show with Sean and Candace Hudson, married financial coaches who talk together and with others about God, Money, and Marriage. In this episode, we talk with Pete McQuillan on the topic of tithing. Pete has been married to his wife, Kim, for nearly 45 years, and together they have three children and four grandchildren. Pete is the Director of Stewardship at Christ Community Chapel in Hudson, Ohio, a role in which he has served for six years. He has offered financial coaching from a biblical perspective for 17 years. We started our conversation with Pete by asking him why he considers tithing to be misunderstood. Well, I, I think probably the biggest thing is you, you've got um, uh, a lot of different opinions on what tithing means coming out of the Old Testament. And then as we transition into the New Testament, um, a lot of people are, are feeling that the Old Testament was very much under law and um, the New Testament is under grace. And that's true. Uh, but I think there's a lot of principles in the Old Testament that um, need to come over to the New Testament. It's just, again, one's under law, one's under grace. And uh, I think the, the concept that tithe is pretty simple. I mean, that, you know, the Hebrew meaning for that is one-tenth. Um, and back in the agrarian days of the Old Testament, uh, that was pretty simple. You know, you, you bought a tenth of your um, grain or your, you know, your farming um, increase um, to the temple or whatever, to the storehouse. Uh, the idea was that, um, uh, you know, one-tenth was the first-tenth, and that's important, too. The very first fruits of um, the increase would go to the Lord. As we, as, and and that, that was uh, uh, an expectation that that would happen. If you look in Malachi, um, that was a requirement. In fact, the Bible says that if you didn't do that, you were really robbing God. Was, that expectation was there. As you come over to the New Testament, I think a lot of people try to um, – kind of cut the cable between the two and say, oh gosh, we live under grace now, so that no longer applies. We don't, we don't live under that law, under that constraint. And uh, I think that's a topic we need to talk more about because um, really in my, in my mind, as, as we fall under grace, the, in, the, the responsibility really increases, even though God doesn't treat a tithe like a tax. And I, I think sometimes when you, when you hear the word tithe, you kind of put it in the same category as a tax. Like it's, it's this burdensome obligation. And that's totally the opposite of what God's, you know, trying to teach on that. So I think we, you know, I think one of the main concepts we got to get across is that, yes, we live under grace. We don't live under the law. But God sometimes, I believe, gives us some kind of um, some kind of markers to go by, so that we've got some kind of um, benchmark um, to go by. Because you know we're called sheep in the Bible. We we need a lot of help. We need a lot of direction. And I think He gave us that in the Old Testament. And I think again, even though we're under grace and we're not under law, I think there's a responsibility there. Yeah, actually, um, I'm sorry, I can't remember what teaching it was that I heard. But and it may have been Robert Morris actually in the Blessed Life book. But he was saying if you look at what Jesus says in Matthew, and he's talking about first off the very first part of this, he says, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. Not an iota, not a not the least stroke of the pen of a law, 
will pass away until the heavens and the earth pass away. And right, and, and then he says, and unless you are more righteous than the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And he goes right from that into, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. I don't know what the first one is, but you, know, you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've murdered. You have heard it said, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust over a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. You have heard it said. So he ups the ante. Actually, yeah. like right. the law is not removed. Like we don't say, well, we're under grace, so I can murder. I can steal. I can right. disobey my parents. Right? That's we right. parents hold our children to obedience because God says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Right? Um, Absolutely. So I guess when I read the New Testament, what I'm like, I don't see separation between old and new. It's like a continuation of, and Jesus actually ups the ante by saying, unless your heart is full of love for God and other people, like, like um, God says you should have in Deuteronomy through Moses, he says over and over and over again, love the Lord your God with all your heart and obey all his commands and laws. And it will go well with you. And it's about loving God. That's why we obey the commands. Anyway, my point is it's up in the ante. So if we see like that these other laws Jesus still upheld, tithing also would be something that we should uphold, not only literally doing it, but also in our hearts. What's our heart attitude toward the Lord? So Pete, what would you say would be like a righteous heart attitude? You said most people, when they hear tithe, they hear tax and that feels burdensome. But God's law is actually light. It is not a burden. So, yeah, what, what is the right way to be thinking about a tithe? Well, I, I love what you said there, Candace, that it's a heart. It really is. It, it's a heart issue. If there's two things I would say, it's, a, it's very much a heart issue and it's a trust issue. In other words, God's telling us to trust him when he says to give us the first fruit, uh, the very the first um, and the best of what we have, because in our minds we're saying, oh gosh, Lord, I, I, I don't have trouble giving, but I, I, I'll give you after I cover everything else and I'm in a good spot, I'll give that. But, but he really wants us to give in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 10, um, he talks about giving what you have decided in your heart to give, not out of compulsion, not out of compulsion. And if we think of the tithe as a tax, that's compulsion. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about giving for what's a matter of the heart. In fact, this is, this is a pretty um, awesome thought. You could be tithing. Maybe this is a pharisaical thought. You could be tithing and not doing what God would have you do. And, and we can think back to, you know, we can think back to Genesis with Cain and Abel. And if you read those verses, you'll find that Cain's offering, you know, was not accepted. Abel's was. Now, they both gave. Or if you look at the widow's might and the story of the widow's might, the Pharisees would go in and clang, 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 throw their coins in so everybody could hear and see. But when the, when the widow came in and she threw her, um, everything she had in there, it made one tink in the thing. Jesus said, stop, listen, that, that is what I'm talking about. You know, it's, it's, it's from the heart. It's out of love. It's not out of compulsion. So I think the, the concept that, giving out of love, I agree, Candace, it ups the ante. It really ups the ante because if we truly love that, that whole idea of 10%, uh, in my mind, becomes awful minuscule 
um, when we had a heart of love. And I think the, the widow who gave everything she had is exemplary of that. I, I think too, I, I love to tell a story. I have a granddaughter. One, you know, I told you I had four grandchildren. One of them's name is Mary Kate. And, I, and one time I was at my uh, son's house and my granddaughter, Mary Kate, came up to me and she had this tattered card, homemade card with three tattered $1 bills in it. And she said, Papa, I want you to have this. And I think God gave me this moment because it was one of the most just powerful moments um, that, that, I mean, I, I've read scripture and this just made it jump off the page when she said, I want you to have this. And my first thought was, and I said this to her, I said, Mary Kate, I don't want this. You keep it because I don't need it. You do. That's probably three quarters of your net worth. And, you know, it's not going to make a difference to me, you know, and she, and she got these crocodile tears and she said, Papa, I want you to have it. And it just melted my heart. And I said, of course, I'll take it. So it's in our, it's in our treasure box and we'll never get rid of it. The cardinal. And I think that's what God's saying to us is, you know, listen, he owns it all. Nobody can argue the fact that we came into this world naked with nothing and if we receive anything through it, it's because God gave us the intellect to earn or the ability to earn or gave us talents and abilities to earn, or somebody gave it to us, an inheritance, whatever. But when we come to the end of our lives, everybody's got to turn it back over. So there's this window and we have to turn it back. I don't care. I, and we get confused on that because I think our name's on the mortgage, right? Our name's on the car title. Our name is on the bank accounts. And so we begin to think that it's ours, and um, that can really mess us up. But if we really, if we really understand, this is to me a foundational truth. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the thousand hills. He created the hills. He, he owns everything. So he doesn't need anything. And I, how many times do you hear somebody say on a tithe, well, it's a good thing I give to the church. Or what would the church do if they didn't have me or, you know, or it's all about us. And the truth is, if God wants to get something accomplished, He's going to do it whether, we agree, whether we're joining in to, to join him in an effort or not. He's going to get it done. But we think it's, oh, gosh, it's, our, it's us that are making a difference when really he's just asking for trust and um, obedience, right? Because I, I think, too, of King Saul when, um, you know, he was fighting the Amalekites and um, God told him very specifically, wipe everybody out. And um, he didn't do that. He went in and he got like 98% of it right, saying, come on, I gave. I, you know, I, I, I gave the offerings. I, I, yeah, true, I didn't kill the king. And I, I left a few animals. And, and Samuel came and confronted him on that and said, um, I don't think you get it. I, you know, again, we make our own rules and um, we, we don't listen sometimes. So I think it's a matter of, um, you know, God wants us to give out of love. He owns it all. He doesn't need anything. And I think as we get these foundational truths in our minds, we begin to um, let go more and realize if we really believe those things, if we really believe them, that that is really pleasing to God if we don't hang on to things with white knuckles. I think the part about loving and trust and uh, the ownership thing is huge. As, as those foundational biblical principles sink in, I think we take another perspective that, that – uh, that makes it all makes all the difference. Pete, in your experience, what would be some of the 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 current rules that you see most people kind of setting up around returning a tithe to the Lord? People will tend to set up our we set, tend to set up our own rules. We we play by our own rules. Uh, maybe we started out with the right part, but but it's yep. drifted into our own sort of way of doing it. We've gone our own way. So, 
what are some of the rules you see people setting up around tithing? Well, I, I think I think one of the big problems around that, um, Sean, is intentionality. You know, it's an interesting statistic that the average evangelical Christian gives like 2.4%. It's the latest stat I've seen on that. And I don't believe that that's because they want to give 2.4%. I think they would love to give at least 10 or more. I think their hearts would could be pure on that. But I think um, we get distracted. And if we don't have a really firm financial plan in place that takes the things we just talked about and make them a reality, you know, for example, if I truly believe that God wants that tithe, not out of compulsion, but out of love, it's kind of like when you make plans for your children, you're going to make sure that you set your plan to accomplish what you, because you love the child so much, you, you wonder, why do we even have children? I mean, they... Uh, poopy diapers and uh, all kinds of expense and staying up at night, you know, all, all these reasons, but you do it out of love. And so I think that if we set our budgets up so that we're intentional to say, you know what, tithe is going to come off the top and then I'm going to save, you know, to make sure I take care of obligation th- for the things I love. I'm going to make sure I have that set aside. And then I'm going to live on the budget on the rest and make, make sure I never spend more than I make. Otherwise, what happens is I think a lot of people come back and say, you know, I would really love to tithe. I just can't. I can't I, I've got too many other obligations. And so rather than having a mentality of save, give, live, we live by, you know, live, save, give. And so fall, savings falls to the bottom. 70% of people, the statistics tell us, live without a game plan. They just live paycheck to paycheck and just kind of wing it. And when you do that, there's no way that you can um, have God have your first fruit because the government's got their hand out. Advertisers, you know, with technology today, if you click on something, it's going to come up until you buy it. They're going to keep shoving it in your face. So the shiny things are in our face all the time. And there's just a lot of distractions. So um, I think one of the big reasons that we fail is because of lack of intentionality. Only 2% of American Christians are actually tithing to recent statistics say. So what is everybody missing out on when they don't tithe? Like what's the effect of that on the person? Oh gosh. You know, Malachi, I think is a great answer to that. Malachi has a great answer saying that. Um, I love to say Malachi is basically, I'm going to, I'm going to um, give my own version of Malachi, but I'm going to say he double dog dares us to, to put God first. If you line things up, right. He's saying everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to, now that does, I, I don't believe that means that you're going to be showered with, you know, hundred dollar bills when you pull out of your drive, but he's saying, I'm going to bless you, you know, and obedience is just such a big thing. I mean, you look at Abraham, um, you look at Moses that were called to do things that didn't make sense. And a lot of times what God's calling us to do through the tithe does not make sense. If, I, if you, if you're talking to a financial counselor that isn't a Christian, they aren't going to, they're going to listen, take care of yourself first. And God bless you. If you want to give, if you believe in the church, I really respect that. Then, you know, but make sure you take care of your family for, you know, all these other things. I, I think it's, it's a matter of uh, get, getting it straight as far as what your, your intentional plans are to, and, 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 and test the Lord. He asked to be tested. It's not like um, we're doing something that he hasn't asked us to do. So I would say um, take him up on that challenge. And, and see what happens. I'll tell you this, just one kind of neat statistic, and I may get in trouble for saying this because it sounds like it's crazy, but I've been coaching for 17 years. 
I have never seen somebody in financial distress and tithing at the same time. Mm. I've never seen it. Now, that's not to say that that couldn't happen. I just haven't experienced it because the person that's tithing has a plan. They're intentional. They have a plan. And if they have a plan, typically that means financially, like any financial counselor will tell you, that's really a good thing to do. So if they're tithing, they've got to be planning or they couldn't tithe because if you don't, you know, it, does, it probably won't work. So um, most everybody I, I coach that comes to us in financial distress is always usually has some kind of debt problem to try to dig out of. And, and one time we were driving home, my wife said to me, I, I said to one couple we were coaching, let's get, you, let's get you healthy financially so you can start tithing. And we were driving home and Kim said to me, that wasn't scriptural what you were teaching there. She called me out which, you know, wives do, right, Sean? Yes. <laughs> I'm sure Candace will do this. She <laughs> said, why would you tell them that? that that's, that's not trusting the Lord. That's, you know, trusting in man and your own. Even when you're in debt, you, you can, you know, maybe a full tithe isn't there right out of the shoe, but you can certainly be, be given to, you don't have to cut the giving off while you're digging out of debt. That can still be part of your budget. I think, I think we got to take God up on what he said in Malachi and uh, take the challenge. I like the, uh, the PMV, the Pete McQuillan version, double dog dare. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you just said uh, not the full tithe. So I want you to put your thumb on what is a tithe. Like you mentioned earlier in Hebrew, it means a tenth. When God says a tithe, what does he mean? And does he mean what he says? I, I love that. Do you know what the number one question I get in our financial classes is? Do I give on the net or the gross? Do I tithe on my net or gross? I get that tithing is 10%, but do I give on the net or gross? And I always tell the person that asked that, I said, listen, work with me here. Why do you ask me that? What, what makes you ask, ask that question? Let's think about that. And I don't, I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but it comes down to saying, what's the minimum I have to give to please God? What's the minimum I have to give to please God? Because I wanna be able to check the box that I please them. And, and that's where, when we started this conversation about the misunderstanding, that's not what God's looking for. He's not looking for us to check a box. He's looking to give like my granddaughter gives out of her heart, out of, out of our heart of love um, and devotion to God and trusting him. I think a tithe, uh, from what I read through it, um, Candace, is that it's a starting point. And I think as we get going, I think that's a wonderful place to begin. But, you know, you hear about people that as they get into this and they realize, wow, what God's word says is true. I've been so blessed since I've been tithing. It's kind of like when you're a kid and you, you know, you start giving to the church out of your, you know, maybe you have a paper route and you start giving a little bit. Well, as you increase in responsibility and pay, don't you change the way you give? And yet, um, when we get to a certain point, like somebody might get to the point where they, they make $100,000, they got a $100,000 bonus. They've done really well. God's blessed them intellectually and they've done a great job in a company. They get $100,000. I've, I've heard this happen. $100,000 bonus. Um, one of our coaches was out to lunch with a friend and the, and the guy got a huge bonus like that. And I said, wow, that's $10,000 for the tithe. And the guy said, oh, come on. I'm, I'm all about tithing that but in this situation that's ridiculous ten thousand dollars to give away i'm going to give a nice chunk of it don't get me wrong but i'm not see the percentage thing starts to really mess us up because 
now that 10% becomes something. I'm okay when I make, you know, $40,000 a year and I give four. That's reasonable. But God's going to ask us to do some things that are unreasonable. And that's when the trust comes in. Our pastor this morning said, why did God put the, the tree of life, the apple, the apple tree in the middle of the garden to tempt Adam and Eve and say, listen, don't take an apple. Trust me, I'm going to provide for you. You don't need the apples. I'm asking you not to do that. Trust me on it. Don't take it. Why didn't he hide the tree somewhere where it wouldn't tempt him? He put it right in the center because he wanted them to trust him. You don't need the apples. You need me. And if you trust me, this, you know, you'll have everything you need. It'll be beautiful. But the enemy comes in and will start discontent and all that kind of thing. So you can get your arms around this by going, always going back, giving out of love, trusting the God and, and trusting him with um, what's going to come out of all of this. And, and again, I think that tithe is just a point, a place to get us started. But, but again, with that question I always get in our classes, I know that's on our heart. What, what do I have to do to please you, God? What do I have to do to please? And then that goes right back. That's that Cain mentality. That's that, you know, King Saul mentality that I, and, and I think that's why God gives us those stories in the Bible to give us living, breathing examples of how we can get off track. Actually, earlier, when I brought up about Jesus upping the ante, it's not, you know, like there's the law, but then there's the heart behind it. It was actually when you responded and you were talking about the heart that the Lord reminded me of something that I feel like I'm supposed to share. Before we did financial coaching, Sean had a really well-paying job. And it was the first time in our marriage that we were in that sort of situation where it was not really tight. Like we were living really tight our whole marriage until then. And then it was like explosion of money and we could do a lot with it. And we um, were saving aggressively to pay cash for a van. This 15 passenger van that we have that the Lord blessed us with. That was an amazing thing. It's a really big van. <laughs> yes, 15. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, well, like, we're going to have a lot of kids. So let's just cargo space. Yeah, we need, space. yeah, we need cargo space. That was a big thing. Okay. Anyway. Um, and then we started to save aggressively for a house. And it was at that point, like in his third year of that job, where my heart turned away from the Lord. It was a very subtle thing. We dutifully handed in the tithe check every couple of weeks or whatever. But my heart, what my heart was robbing God, because I would think, oh, if we just, like, if we didn't have to give the tithe, look at how much more money we could put in savings every month. Absolutely. We could get that house faster. That was, an, that was an ugly thing in my heart that I didn't even realize I was doing. And he showed that to me. And I just was like devastated that my heart had gone away from him over money. So he's very gracious. I am absolutely forgiven. But I do think that we have to guard our hearts, even like what you were saying, God owns it all. He created it all. He owns it all. There is nothing in my, in our bank accounts, in our possession at all. Like our clothing isn't his, my own body it, or isn't mine. My own body is not mine. Yep. Uh, my soul and the destiny of my soul ultimately is not mine. I have no control over my next breath or anything like I trust that God will bring me into heaven. Can I make myself go to heaven? I cannot make my soul enter heaven. Only he can do that. So 
to think that I was somehow in charge of my money and I had to give to the Lord. It just, that was just such a proud thing. And I think there are people who could be listening that might feel like what you were talking about, which is what I felt like I, I checked the box. I did it. I gave my 10%. I didn't give any less, but we definitely didn't give any more. And if it were up to me, I wouldn't have even given that. And that wasn't right. to the Lord, but um, by God's grace, I do have a heart of repentance and desire to walk in, in open handedness to him and generosity to him, returning to him what is rightfully his and giving him out of a heart of gratitude even more. You know, our, our pastor, Joe Coffey, um, often says that money is tricky and sticky. Tricky in the sense that, to your point, Candace, we can be doing things and we could even justify, well, this makes sense even though we know that it, it's not the way God would have us manage all of it. And also we talk about the 10%. We've been talking about that tonight. But what about the other 90 and how we manage that? Like you said, it's all his. 100% is his. And um, certainly first fruits are important to him. And again, it's not what God wants from us. It's what he wants for us. It can sound to somebody from the outside, they can say, guys, he sure is a um, self-centered God. He wants the first and the best. That's pretty selfish. It's just the opposite. He knows that if we don't give our heart to something else, because human beings are going to take their heart and put it somewhere, we're going to idolize something. And if it isn't him, I mean, look at the golden calf. Look at when Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments. The Israelites couldn't wait. They had to, they had to worship something, so they made this calf. Said, well, hey, while you're gone, we're going to worship this calf. We're going to worship something. I think one of the cool scriptures that everybody should memorize, and a lot have, is Matthew 6, 24. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think we can do a little, um, we can put a thermometer in our mouth um, with our money by taking a good look at our checkbook or our bank statement and just doing a self-analysis. Where's the money going? Because usually the, the money's going to follow, you know, your heart's going to follow the money, right? Have you ever invested in a stock before? You might not care about any stock, but once you invest in a stock, what do you start doing? You start watching every day. You'll look for that ticker. Was it up? Was it down? What's going on with it? Because your heart is going to follow the money. If that's true, and it is, I mean, who would say they don't, I'm not going to invest in something and then not keep an eye on it. Well, if you invest in a missionary, do you usually keep in contact with them to see how they're doing? Yeah, because your heart's going to follow the money. And so God knew that. And so when he says, I think, again, that's, a, that's an area we get confused on because we say, that's pretty arrogant to demand our first and our best. He's doing it not for himself, for us, because if our, our heart is aligned with him, what does it say in Malachi? Test me. I'll shower you with blessings because we'll be aligned the way I designed it to be. The engine will be running like I, it'll be tuned up and running like it's supposed to be. Yeah, so you're getting into some of the purpose there that I was going to ask about. So if God owns everything and he doesn't need me to do anything, if he's so great, like what, what is the purpose of me giving him returning a tithe then? What's the, what's the purpose of that? And what you're saying partly is it's because he's after your heart and, and that's a way to keep it, to secure it. But then beyond that, what would you say, Pete, as far as uh, what does he do with that money? What's the purpose of returning that money to him other than the hard work that it does in us? What does it practically do? I used to listen to a guy named Larry Perkett. He was a, a pioneer in this, in this area and um, of financial stewardship early on. And 
when I drive to and from work, he would talk about some of the principles we're talking about right now. And I would actually get angry and argue with the radio as I was driving to work. And I would say, that that can't be true. And I'll prove you wrong. And I started reading all his books. And the next thing I know, I'm hooked. And I'm saying, you know what? It was kind of like when David was confronted with, with his sin. And uh, Nathan said, that man is you, you know, when he was confronted with the sin. And I, he, con- he confronted me with that. And I came to realize um, that, oh, man, I've got this all wrong. You know, I can't be responsible when I do give. I, you know, I've got to prayerfully give and trust that he's going to use that for his purposes. That's kind of beyond my pay grade, I think. Uh, my job is to be faithful and to give and to pray about where I'm giving, you know, but to leave that to him. And as I discovered these, these principles, by the way, I, I was at a Bible study years ago where a man was teaching out of Romans. I said to him after the study, I said, Angelo, I've learned so much from your study on Romans. And he said, Pete, I'm just a rat who found the cheese and I'm trying to say, share the cheese with, with all the other rats. So as we learn these biblical truths about giving and being obedient, I don't know, Sean, if that answers your question, but I think that's that's uh, up to the Lord to take that those offerings and use them as he will. I do know this. In fact, we said to one person in one of our classes that asked that, do I tithe on the net or growth? Listen, if you tithe on the net, you're still going to be way ahead of most and because uh, of, of that 2.4% the average Christian gives. Larry Burgett used to always say, what if? What if every Christian was obedient to Scripture and did tithe? Just tithe. 25 billion would relieve global hunger, 12 billion would eliminate illiteracy, 15 billion would solve the world's water and sanitation issues, and, it, and there'd be 100 billion left over for additional ministry expansion. So it's, kind, it's on us, right? We talk about all these things in the world that are disastrous, and we say, well, what, what's God doing? Why would he allow all these things? It's on us. You know, if we were being obedient and giving like we had to, like Larry Burgett would say, what if? What if we were obedient and what if we did give out of hearts of love for our fellow human beings? And a lot of these problems would go away, but we have, again, tricky and sticky. You know, when we go to write that check that we all, we intended to be X number of zeros, we usually take a zero or two off and we go to actually write the check because it's sticky. It's hard to, to let it go. And um, these are things I think we have to really be prayerful about. Why, uh, why do you think pastors in general might find it difficult to teach and preach about tithing and giving to the Lord? Yeah, that's a great question, Sean. I think, I think it's a matter of um, pastors being very sensitive to the fact that there's a, uh, a level of distrust out there for churches. Uh, I know I had a good friend who was unchurched, and I, I invited him to church, and he said, oh, I don't go to church. All they want is my money. I, I just think that pastors are sensitive to that. And so much so that a church I attended prior um, would never pass a plate or anything like that because they were afraid it would appear that, you know, the church was really looking to grab uh, a money grab. And so they would just put offering boxes in the back to make sure that that didn't come across that way. So again, this, this is a, a teaching that is hard, I think, for a lot of pastors to broach because they're afraid it's going to send a wrong message. And yet, it's such an important topic. And again, as we started this conversation, so misunderstood, I think we've got to start bringing it into our conversations more. People are going to say, what kind of God would ask me to give my first and my best? Isn't that a greedy God? Isn't it? And it takes some teaching to understand, no, you really have to kind of understand the whole overarching story of Scripture 
to understand that's not, you really have to know God better to understand that's not the kind of God he is. And when you think about the, the, the low numbers of Christians who are fully tithing, I would think that that indicates several things. One, it might indicate they have no plan for their money, or maybe they're deeply in debt, and that's where their money's going. Or it could just be that they, they don't understand the tithe, and they're, they're not being taught very well about the tithe um, because of the reasons you're saying there. So I'd imagine that if there was a more faithful and bold way of teaching about it, that there would be then an uptick in giving just because there'd be better understanding around it. That might be an area where pastors need some sort of outside counsel or help um, because it is such a tricky thing to talk with people about. Well, it is. And I think, Sean, that that's the reason, you know, I told you we set up our ministry as um, like a hospital with a with a, an emergency room on one side and preventive care clinic on the other. So we're dealing with people that are hemorrhaging coming into the emergency room. But on the preventive care side, exactly to your point, we need to get in front of people and start teaching them these biblical principles. And uh, that's why I love the fact that we've got this stewardship ministry at Christ Community Chapel, just because we can help the pastors. If you do a financial peace university class, right, you're going to have droves of people come because they want to break the bondages of debt. They want to live, they want that freedom. But one thing, you know, I'm always concerned about when we run FPU, for example, there's one scene, you know, where Dave Ramsey is standing on this piece of grass. He's gosh, when you get to be debt free, this grass is your grass. This is yours. And I think one thing we got to be careful of is I love the principles taught in FPU. I've seen people you know, just making all kinds of headway with their finances. But I think we've got to tie together. Um, why? Why would you want to be debt free? To build wealth? To be wealthy? What, what's, what's the end game? And again, if we realize, again, let's go back to the foundational truth. In naked, out naked. And no matter how much we accumulate during that time, it doesn't matter whether you're Donald Trump or a homeless man in New York, you're going to be at the same spot when you leave this world. And if you let that sink in, then again, it, it becomes your goal isn't to build wealth. It's to, to honor God because you were created to do that. And the more you line up um, with what God created you to be and who he created you to be and how he expects you to manage things, because you are a renter. You know, you are renting. Again, your name's not going to go into eternity on that house deed. But what you did with that money in terms of your relationships and what you did to help others and all those things he asked you to do, that will go into eternity. Yeah, we've got a lot of work to do in this area um, mm -hmm. to educate. I just don't think it's talked about enough. So what would you say to someone who they might be listening to this and they might be thinking, okay, God owns everything. But I look around and I don't own much. Like the cars in my driveway, I don't own. The bank owns that. The house I live in is a mortgage, which means it can be taken away from me at any moment if I don't pay my bill like I should. You know, the bank owns that too. My education, I guess, someone can't take away from me, but I sure have a lot of student loan debt. And if I don't pay those loans, the federal government can freeze my bank account so that I don't have access to my own bank account and they can reach their hand in and take out what's theirs. I look around and I think a lot of the stuff I have is other people's. So what would you say to the Christian who you're saying, you know, everything is the Lord's, but they feel like, oh my goodness, lots of things in my possession are not even mine. Right. They're in debt. You know, what would you say to that person? I would just go to that scripture in Proverbs that says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is slave to the lender. All those situations you described, Candace, are bondage. It's not mine. It's somebody else's. And so I think, again, that intentionality comes in to not let yourself get into a position where that 
that bank's controlling you or that, you know, that school loan, that bank that's got your school loan is controlling you. Because I would say before you get into those situations, pray and think about it. I had somebody call um, a couple of weeks ago, call my office and say, um, I wanted to call the financial ministry because I'd like to get connected to a Christian banker who could help me with a home improvement, a home equity loan, because we've got a lot of equity in our house and we'd like to put a new deck on. And so can you point us to a, a Christian banker that we can trust? And I said, yes, I could do that, but I, I don't want to. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I'd, I'd rather talk to you a minute about this, this scripture that talks about, because this was these are Christians calling in. And I said, I'd rather see you wait and save and pay cash for that and not increase your debt because Bible teaches us that's not a good idea. It's not a good idea to to borrow from our retirement account. It's not a good idea to borrow from our home equity because if we do that, it delays the day that we're going to be debt free, the day that we're going to be free. So I would say, Candace, what you want to do is, in fact, the, the second most, the second comment I get at our classes is in addition to do I tithe on the net or gross is why didn't somebody teach me this stuff when I was younger? Mm-hmm. Somebody who's more than 40 years old said, why, why, why am I learning this stuff now? Mm-hmm. Because our kids go to school. I think 19 states have financial literacy tests. Though Our kids are learning how to do trigonometry, but they aren't learning how to balance a checkbook, right? right? Right. And so how much trig do you guys use today? <laughs> like if I gave you a test on trigonometry, how would you do? Not well. But so many people just don't know the, the ABCs of financial management. I would say we want to steer away from it. Yeah, once you get into those situations, you, you're, you're, uh, you're reporting to somebody else. And the, and the stress that comes with that, the phone ringing, eviction notices coming, the stress that comes with that, that's why the stress comes. That's why marriages break up. Again, in Malachi, it talks about curses. Those are the kind of curses we face when we go our own way and try to manage things ourselves. Because, you know, back during the um, Holy Wars, when the um, mercenaries were hired by the church to fight, and the mercenaries would come in and they say, and, and the church would say, you have to be baptized before you can join us. And they would hold the sword out of the water and say, you can have me, but you can't have my sword. And we say that to God all the time. You can have, you can have me, but you... But Lord, you understand, I've got to manage my checkbook. You understand, this I have to manage. And because that, we're in the trouble we're in today, trying to do what really is his, his territory. Pete, I'm going to put you on the spot here a minute and, and take you back into the uh, PMV, the Pete McQuillan version. If you could define tithe, someone said, what's the definition of a tithe? And you, know, and you can't say 10%. What would be the PMV version of tithe? You know what, Sean, I would answer that. Again, I go back to that 2 Corinthians verse that says, each person should give what you have decided in your heart is right. I like to really unhook the tithe from that tax mentality and say, you know, I wish I could give you a specific percentage, but I think that becomes a matter of prayer. The Lord, he's saying, I don't want you to give out of compulsion. You know, the, the government makes us give out a compulsion. When you get your paycheck, does the government not withhold anything and say to you, hey, Sean and Candace, didn't we do a great job on the roads? When you get your paycheck, didn't we do a great job on the roads? Didn't we do a great job giving you police protection? What do you think that's worth? Would you please give what you think it's worth? No, they, they're gonna take it right out of your paycheck, whether you want to want it to come out or not. They take it out of compulsion. And if you don't pay, and if they take it out and you owe some more and you don't pay, 
the IRS will be after you and you might end up in the slammer. I think we want to separate the way the Lord, because the creator of the universe, do you think he couldn't take it out of our hide more forcefully than the government could? I would say so, right? I'd say he has more clout, but he would never do that because it's a heart issue. Uh, And again, I go back to Mary Kate. I, I could demand that she pays me so much. I'm over her and I'm going to dominate that. I'm going to take advantage of that situation. But that's not what the God wants. He wants us to give, not out of compulsion, but what you have decided in your heart, not out of compulsion. So, you know, Sean, I really like to take the legality away from the word tithe because I think there's too much box checking. Do I give on a net or gross? What do I got to do to give? What is 10% the number? And there's different feelings on what that is. I think it's uh, a matter of prayer. Um, between an individual say, and just reflect, reflect on, um, you know, like Candace said, even our bodies aren't our own. It says in Romans, right? We give our bodies as a sacrifice. Nothing is ours. And if he's created us from nothing, um, you know, I think we lose a lot of the wonder as we get older. If I go with my little um, four-year-old grandson out for a walk, I mean, we're amazed by a leaf or we're amazed by a caterpillar crossing. You know, we're amazed by, and as we get older, you know, everything becomes, huh, it not, not so amazing anymore. If we think about the God we serve, the way he loves us, the way that we take our next breath become, because of him, then it becomes a whole, we look at the tie the whole lot differently. You, you'd say to somebody who really understands the love of God, they say, 10 cents on the dollar? Are you kidding me? That's all he's asking you to do? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give him 20, 30, 40%, whatever mm-hmm. I can afford to give um, with putting him first, where I can still take care of my family, and he wants me to enjoy life. I mean, certainly that's okay, and I got a plan for my future. But ten percent just doesn't seem reasonable to me. That that just he's saying I'm just starting there. I'm just giving you a number so that um, you start to show obedience. But as people that are spirit spiritually, I think really mature and understand who God is and who we are. And the fact that he went to the cross and died a horrendous death for us while we were still sinners. It'd be one thing to go to the cross if he died for us and we were these super spiritual people, but we were spitting in his face. And he still, if you understand that kind of love, the tithe is going to take on a whole new meaning for you. You know, and 10% is going to seem pretty, pretty poor excuse for a a gift. I I love another verse I love is first Timothy in first Timothy six. I think that there's a lot of good meat there for us in this area. And it talks about, um, I think it's uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. The idea is to do good, be rich in good works, always generous, always ready to share. So I think that, you know, the prayer for us is to say, Lord, what does that mean? What does that mean to be generous? Like I say, I like to get away from the specific percentage, but what does that mean to each individual? And I think each one of us as we're on a spiritual journey has to decipher what the Lord means to us and um, how we can honor him with our first and our best and uh, in a way that glorifies him and, and do it for the right reasons, out of love and also out of trust that we trust you. Um, just like he asked Adam and Eve in that garden to trust him, um, even though that fruit was hanging right in, that luscious fruit was hanging right in front of their faces. He said, don't, don't take that. He was at, why would he do that? Why would he put that, that, that tree there that could be, could be a temptation. He's saying, you don't need that tree. You need to trust me. So I think two things, if you walk away from the, the love of God, how, how um, 
faithful he is to us and how trustworthy he is. And so when we read his word, doesn't it come down to, can we trust it? And if we can trust it, shouldn't we obey it? This whole tithe issue was just such a big, big topic for Christians. And, you know, I just hope our conversation tonight can shed some light on that. I I think it will. Very instructive, very helpful. I appreciate how the Lord has given you the experience and and, uh, the stories you can tell, the perspectives that you can provide, and just your understanding of scripture, bringing all that in is, uh, is right on. I wonder, Pete, if, if you wouldn't mind just saying a prayer for us to close here and for anybody who might be listening um, as they're trying to wrestle through these things with the Lord. These are weighty things. These are, this is, it's really interesting how the tithe is really tied up in the gospel. It's, it's a response to uh, what Christ has done for us. Could you just pray, pray for us all? I'd be honored to. Um, Lord, we just thank you for this evening. I thank you for Sean and Candace and their heart to get these truths out there, Lord, for people to consider and to pray over. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for your tithe to us through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for taking care of something we could never take care of ourselves through the death and resurrection of your son, your beloved son. And now you're asking us to trust you uh, with our futures and trust us trust you with, with, with our families and uh, our finances, marriages, all these things, Lord, in our lives. You are so trustworthy. Great is thy faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Thank you tonight for that, Lord. I, I pray for anybody listening in on this, that you would bless them richly and give them understanding, give them discernment to take your word and apply it to their lives. Because we know, Lord, that you want what's best for us. And we just pray that that would all sink in and and that you would lead us and guide us. Open the doors you want us to go through. Close the ones you want us to stay away from. And help us stay on the path that leads to life. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. For more information about Christ Community Chapel and Pete's Stewardship Ministry, visit hudson.ccchapel.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of the God, Money, and Marriage Show. To learn more about our financial coaching services for engaged and married couples, visit sowandreapfc.com. That's so and reapfc.com. Until next time, onward and upward.